Well, three weeks ago, when the elders and I made in unity the decision for me to step down as senior pastor, I knew then he was placing me on a personal Red Sea Road. Thus, these two messages have been born out of the experience. You know, maybe you are also right now in a Red Sea Road experience. You're not sure you can't see the distance. You might not even be able to see very far in front of you what God is doing, what he's calling you to, how he's going to work out what he is calling you to. And you're not sure exactly how you can trust the unknown, but yet God has given us his word. He's given us a wonderful story, an account of how his very people were placed in a position where they could not be any more closer to him, though it was difficult. Last week, we talked about how to think rightly about God's purposes, about his providences. We talked about looking through Exodus 14, the first 12 verses, how God was working out his exact plan through placing Israel right at that geographical spot at the, at the mouth of the sea and, and right there between the Egyptians and how they had nowhere else to go, but he knew that he was going to place them there. Just as he said here in the text today that he will harden Pharaoh's heart. He's the one that's actively, intentionally working out his divine purposes in us, through us, in our church family, in our congregation, through Christ Community Church, in your own family, in your individual walk with him, he's working out his divine purposes. As he's doing so, he calls us to respond. He does call us to respond. The Israelites needed to respond to what God was saying through his prophet Moses. And the first thing God calls us is to first give over your fear. Give over our fears. And that's hard to do sometimes. We want to hold on to our fears. But he called us to give them over. Verse 13, Moses answered the people after they had just in verses 11 and 12 said, it would have been better to stay back as, as a captive, as one who was oppressed, as, as one who was imprisoned. That would have been better than being out here in this situation where we're going to die. They had just complained, had just shown Moses their heart of frustration and anger and resentment for where they found themselves at that very moment. And Moses says to them, do not be afraid. Hmm. Now, in the previous two verses, you know, they were complaining and blaming even Moses for their predicament. So why would Moses say to them, do not fear? It would seem that Moses would say, stop your complaining. Stop your whining. Bunch, bunch of babies out here. Come on, you got to try. He says, do not be afraid. A wise pastor and prophet that Moses is to his people. You see, they were irrational about what was going on. They said the things they said, being better to be enslaved again, because fear does bring irrational thinking, does it not? When you're afraid, irrational thoughts come to your mind and then creep down into your heart when you're afraid. 
Moses knew they were afraid by how they were acting with him. He knew his people. He knew their struggle. And he knew they were afraid. And he says, do not be afraid. I know you have great fear at this very moment because you see them marching after us. And you see that deep water raging in front of you. And you can't see how to go anywhere else. You're just here right now. I know you are, and you're very afraid. Moses knew that, so he said, do not be afraid. You know, often we look for places to blame in the midst of our afflictions, do we not? We look for someone to blame, something to blame. I'm thinking of even John chapter 9 when the disciples were there with a blind man from birth with Jesus. You remember the passage in John chapter 9. And they said to Jesus, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents? Interesting question, looking at a blind man from birth. Who sinned, Jesus? Because obviously this guy's blind because someone sinned bad. It was either him or it was his parents. And what did Jesus say in response to the disciples? Incredible response. He said, neither. Neither. This happened so the works of God might be revealed in him. He was made blind by my very hand so that my mighty works and glory would be revealed through his life and what he's going through. That's why he's blind, for my glory. That's why. That's why we do have afflictions. That's why we do struggle. We're Sufferings. That's why we do find ourselves in trials and persecutions because his works of glory would be revealed through our trials. Psalm 112, surely the righteous will never be shaken. They will be remembered forever. They will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Their hearts are secure. They will have no fear. You know, often when we as Christians suffer, face trials, we ask the question, why would God allow this? If you haven't asked that question, you probably haven't had a, a trial in a while. But why would, God, why would you allow this? I don't understand. In his book, Why Us, author Warren Wiersbe says that the key question is not, why do the righteous suffer? But the question is do we worship a God who is worthy of our suffering? Not why do we suffer, but do we truly worship a God that is worthy of the suffering that I have been given? Deuteronomy 31, God says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. You see, we can fight the fears that we have, that come in our life. We can give them over to the Lord. We can have courage and not fear because God has promised never to leave us or abandon us. He has promised never to forsake us, and we can trust in his promises. In verse 14 of our passage, it says, the Lord will fight for you. Moses said that very clearly. The Lord will fight for you. And that's what God promises to do for us, to fight on our behalf, to go before us and to take on anything and everything 
on our behalf. We must simply give over our fear and trust him. Psalm 34 says, I sought the Lord. He answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. You know, we do not need to fear because while we are unable to fight, our God is fighting for us day and night, never ceasing, relentlessly, always, every moment of every day, fighting for us, protecting us, watching over you, watching over every step we take, every thought we have, every struggle we experience. He's watching over. He's never sleeping or slumbering. He is always ready and on watch, not missing one detail, not one small detail of what you're experiencing is he missing. He knows the very things that you desire, and he knows what you need, even though it's so hard sometimes to believe that he is working when we don't see it right in front of us sometimes. Give over our fears is how we must respond to God's providence of placing us in a position of dependence. But also, not just giving over our fears, but sometimes a very hard thing to do is to wait for the Lord. Just wait. That's the second response, to wait for the Lord. Verse 14, again, Moses, he answered the people and he said, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to what? Be still. What, Moses? We have an army of hundreds of chariots and amazing military about ready to slaughter every one of us and our children. They're right there. Can you not see them? We're going to drown if we go there. And we're not fast enough or swift enough. We don't have any might to go left or right. So guess what? We're stuck here and you're saying all we need to do is be still. Can you put yourself in their shoes? Just be still. I don't know how he could even say those words. I don't know how I would respond if I was one of the, the Jewish dads with my, you know, 15 children beside me. And I was there, I'd just be like, what would I say to Moses? I know he's a prophet of God. He's the one God called. He, I get the whole thing from Egypt and the fair and the 10 plagues. Okay, got it. But be still right now. I'm about ready to die. And when people get a place, when you're about ready, your life's about ready to be taken, you, don't, you do things out of fear. You respond. You, you, your natural instinct is not to be still. It just isn't. When you're afraid, when something's not going as you plan, when something breaks, when something goes wrong, when an unexpected event happens in your life, the hardest thing to do is nothing. I know it's very hard just to wait and ask God for his leading and for his timing. Waiting for the Lord to work in his way, in his time, is very hard to do. And as a church, God is calling for us, I believe, in these days right now to pray, to wait on the Lord, to watch for what he's calling, what he wants to do, and to follow 
in a sensitive way, listening and waiting and watching and not taking a step too quickly to the left or to the right or trying to get ahead or falling behind, but in step, prayerfully watching and waiting for the Lord as he leads. Psalm 27, wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Be strong and wait. You see, waiting is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength when we wait on the Lord. Psalm 37, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. When you look around you and things are happening in other people's lives that you wish maybe were happening in your lives, and you look around and you wish and you desire what's going on around you as you see your own life and you begin to fret, you begin to have fear, you begin to struggle with what you see with your eyes and what you hear and what you smell and what you taste. And God says to wait patiently before him and do not fret. You know, right now, Charlotte and I, our family, are in the midst of having to wait on the Lord. And I was thinking this week, you know, it's been many, many years, probably go all the way back to when we moved here 13 years ago, since we've been having to really be placed in a position of complete, it's clear, dependence. God, you must work here. There have been lots of instances along the way in the ministry, of course, here with our church where we have, to, we have extended uh, ourselves in prayer and depending upon the Lord. Absolutely. We've had times as a church family, and many of you remember these, of fasting and praying and, and seeking the Lord. But for me personally, those times meant greatly, but this is a place now that God has afresh made real to me just how much he wants my heart to trust in him as his child, not necessarily as his pastor for for a church, just as his son. Some days it can seem overwhelming to not have a clear understanding of where you're going or what God is doing. Ever been there where you just don't know and it just feels paralyzing? It can. It can be really hard because you just want to know. You say, Lord, just let me know because if I knew, well, then it'd all be okay. You know, just let me know though. That's what is so hard. You're waiting and you're watching. Every day when I read his word, though, and I listen to God share with me his thoughts, I have my hope renewed that he is at work. He is working, and he has my best interest in mind. He always has your best interest in mind. That's what his word promises. That's what he tells us. And as I continue to find his promises there, I'm reminded again, and my hope is renewed that he has my best interest as his child in mind. Psalm 130, I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. You have to be in his word. You have to, to have that type of understanding of the hope I speak, I'm speaking of, you must be in his word. Martin Luther said this, I never knew the meaning of God's word until I came into affliction. That's a powerful statement. I never really knew the meaning and depths of the word of God until I came into affliction. That's so true. 
You can read God's word and appreciate it, but it does not mean the depths of what it means until you are in that affliction. You're on that Red Sea Road. If we are communing with Jesus in prayer and feeding upon his word, then we will know when to wait and when to move. Waiting on the Lord is not a waste of time, but it is seeking in accordance with the leading of the Holy Spirit how and when to act. That's what waiting means. To seek and to listen and to watch and to know as God leads in accordance with his Holy Spirit that lives within us how and when to move and to act. Galatians 5 says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. You know, one great confidence we have is found in our passage, verses 19 and 20 of the account of what is happening with the Israelites and the Egyptians. Look again. It says, the angel of God who had been traveling in front of the army withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud that had been going with them and the entire 40 years led them. That pillar of cloud moved from in front and then went behind Israel. Coming between the Egyptian army and God's people. That's an amazing picture. I wish I'd have been there to see that thing. Just, I mean, just watching God do what he does. His presence moving. Very, his very presence moving in a, in a physical representation of that pillar cloud. What an amazing picture we have there of God's presence and him working. And it says that there was darkness on one side and light on the other. That must have been an incredible sight. Must have made the aurora lights of uh, you know, the north looked like nothing compared to what he was doing. The light was shining for God's people where they were to go and how they were to move. And the darkness was against the Egyptian army so they couldn't see even the Israelites and where they were, though they weren't that far ahead of them. What a picture of provision and salvation on one side, the light for God is light and darkness and judgment on the backside of darkness where the Egyptian, the armies were, they were going against God's purposes and God's will. You know, it tells us this, the same God who led Israel out of captivity, out of Egypt, and guided Israel all the way from oppression out into the wilderness has now become the very God who protects and provides for them. He's not just a leader and a guide. He's a protector and a provider. When you're in trouble and in need, he protects and provides. He does that for his children. While we are traveling our Red Sea road, God's always aware of the dangers of the enemy. And he's fully engaged to protect us as we follow him in faith. So when you're waiting... You're not unprotected. Know that. When you wait, you are completely surrounded by God's presence. And as you wait for him to lead and to then show you where to move and to step by his Holy Spirit and his word that gives you direction, then you do so. But as you wait, you are not unprotected. Know that God's presence is there always. And so we wait for the Lord. Finally, we obey in faith and watch God work. Obey in faith, watching God 
do his work. Verses 16 and then 21 and 22. Look at verse 16. The Lord said to Moses, Moses, raise your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. And then 21, so Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And all that night, the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind. God told Moses to raise his staff, to raise his hand, and watch the sea all night long part. But it says, who was the one that actually parted the sea? It says, the Lord drove the waters back. Moses didn't do that. Not at all. He just simply obeyed and did what God. I mean, raising a, a, raising a piece of wood and raising your hand, how is that going to divide the waters of the Red Sea? It doesn't. God's the one that did the work. He's the one that parted the seas and did the miraculous. He drove the sea back. So often when we find ourselves on that Red Sea Road, we try and when you find yourself in that situation, you might try to cut corners. You may, because you're tired of waiting, so you're going to go ahead and just act impetuously, or you're going to move because you've waited long enough. This can't be of the Lord. No one is called to wait this long. So you go ahead and move when maybe you should have waited a little longer. And so we try to rescue ourselves, develop a strategy for deliverance or some resolution because we can't wait any longer. And that's hard. That's hard to do. But God calls us to obey in faith what we know and to obey in faith on what we can do and then trust him and wait on him. Don't cut corners. Don't try to handle things yourself. Don't try to make things happen on your own. You wait, you pray, you seek, you watch. You wait, you pray, you seek, you watch. And then if you've done that, You wait, you pray, you seek, you watch. You continue to do that time and time again, and God will do his work. What's the essence of the gospel? The essence of the gospel is that we can do nothing, and God has done everything. Is it not? That is what we understand the gospel is. God has done everything for us in his son. We have done nothing to bring our salvation to pass. That day when the Israelites crossed through the sea, God redeemed them from death and judgment that very day at the hand of the Egyptians. And this supernatural act of divine intervention, God did simply out of his grace and his love for his people and according to his promise to them. That's why God did this. Israelites did not deserve it. They didn't do anything to gain it. In fact, as we see in verse 11 and 12, they were just the opposite in their hearts towards the Lord. They were not deserving of what God was doing for them. God did everything needed for them to receive his grace without anything that they did. This is why this Red Sea miracle points us to another Red Sea miracle. You know, there's another one in the scriptures. One that required God himself to make the ultimate sacrifice. You see, for our redemption, God not only divided the waters, he divided the temple curtain. And he made our redemption secure for all eternity, making a way to have a relationship with him. Ephesians chapter one. In him, that is in Christ, we have redemption through his blood. That's the Red Sea. 
the blood of Jesus, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. You see, we must go through that Red Sea and be covered with that blood. We must have that sacrifice, that redemption experience, that gift of grace in order for us to have redemption. A friend of mine, Tom Wood, in his booklet, Gospel Life of the Church Planner, says this, we have to remember that every hardship in life and ministry, marriage conflicts, parenting questions, financial struggles, fear of the future, loss of vision or focus, is an opportunity to apply the gospel. Even saying it like that is wrong. We don't apply the gospel to the issues of life as if it was a mathematical formula. The gospel is not a principle to master or a procedure to follow. The gospel is life. It is how we live life as a believer. It is how we relate to ourselves, to God, and to each other. The people of God live only by faith. We don't live by effort or insights or emotion. We live by faith in the work of another, and his name is Jesus. We live by faith in what Jesus has done for us. Whatever we face, whatever Red Sea challenge is there right now in front of you, or might be there Tuesday that you don't know, it's coming, it's because you can face it through the work of Jesus every single time. We must daily pass through these cleansing waters of repentance and faith in what our Redeemer has done for us. You know, in the same book by Wearsby, he found himself talking with a woman one day who found herself in a sea of many troubles in her life. Pastor Wearsby says, this woman had many difficulties and afflictions. Attempting to encourage her in his pastoral role, he said to this woman, I want you to know, dear friend, that we are praying for you. I appreciate that, she replied. What are you praying God to do, may I ask? The pastor found himself struggling for an answer to her and eventually thought of some things and shared them with her of what he was praying for her. Thank you, she said. But please pray for one more request. Certainly, he said. And what's that? Pray that I won't waste all this suffering. Pray I won't waste it. How often do we waste our trials and our tribulations, our sufferings? We waste them, and we don't receive the tremendous blessing. How often do we view the Red Sea Road as something to avoid or run from because of what it might bring us? But when we view it as a gift that God has given for us to place at his feet in worship then the road becomes one that we desire. And it carries us into a deep, deep love with our Savior and Redeemer. 